you got to keep the big picture that, hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry. Pulse Welcome to, their to industry. Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard. Jeff Curl. Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The League presents Electric People. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. This week, we have on the David Yates out of Pioneer Valley. For those of you that don't know, that's in Western Massachusetts. Uh, we'll ask Dave later how they came up with the name Pioneer Valley. But um, uh, Dave is a longtime friend, longtime colleague. Uh, Dave and I worked together at a previous company, Pinnacle Security, years and years ago. Um, he started doing home security systems back in 2008, made the move. By the way, was one of the most successful reps at that company, has sold over 1,100 personal uh, home security accounts, was uh, managing top teams over there, and then was recruited to come over and help get Vivint Solar going back in 2013 uh, out in, um, correct me if I'm wrong, San Jose, and helped um, start that office, and then uh, saw an opportunity out in Massachusetts to come help op open up our Western Mass area, so he Moved out to Boston in 2014, and then and then made the transition over to Pioneer Valley uh, later that spring. Since then, Ty, he has accumulated 672 personal installs. His team is always among the top performing teams in the region and on the East Coast. And Dave is just an all-around good man. So he. Uh, He's definitely someone I look up to a lot, respect a lot. Um, you know, when I have questions just on life things, uh, Dave's one of the guys that I gravitate to as well. And just someone that uh, is a trusted confidant, a trusted friend. So Dave, excited to have you on, man. I feel like it's uh, long overdue. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here too. So Dave, let's just get it out there. Um, you're always so happy. Why? What's wrong with you, Dave? Um, Why are you so happy I mean, all the time, man? What, what do I have to be miserable about, you know? Um, I don't know. I guess, honestly, um, for me, some of the things that I've experienced that have been really difficult for me, um, I, I figure if my day's not going like that, then I really have no com no complaints. So um, I, I find it easy to find the joy in things. I find it easy to kind of turn away and and not necessarily ignore, but definitely not dwell on the hard or the tough or disappointing things in, in the day-to-day -day life. And so it, it makes it a lot easier to just kind of be a happy person and be happy even in, in the midst of some somewhat hard situations. Well, and I say that a little bit, um, obviously just kind of flippantly to start, but the truth is I've always admired your attitude. Um, and whenever we've had changes in the company, whether they're hard, good, um, changes in the region, you know, we've had, uh, different opportunities come up, things like that. You just always seem to handle them in a really mature and just thoughtful way. And it doesn't ever seem to rattle you. And Ty, um, I know you don't know this, but on the new England DM group chat, every DM has an emoji. And so when they get their sales, they uh they just post their emoji that they have 
So if they have three sales, they have three welcome calls on the week, they'll just post three of their emoji. And that's how they post their number of, uh, you know, sales or welcome calls that they have. So can every I guess DM, you like, has, well, yes, you can guess it, but before you do, and I don't know, I know we talked about this on Hershberger's podcast, but Hershberger, Jeff Hershberger, he's, uh, the new England Oracle. So no DM actually gets to pick their own emoji. Uh, um, ah. Jeff, uh, Jeff, he's a wolf. The emojis sort of come once, once a DM is promoted in new England at the first conference we have, Jeff will reveal what their emoji is that they have such a great given. idea that's such and, a great idea um, it's honestly something we look forward to probably more than anything else at any conference more than any trainings or anything else because it's a good time but dave's emoji literally fits him perfectly so ty i'll let you take a crack at what you think it might be i'll give you a hint it's an animal well yours is a gorilla right adam <laughs> no, no yes it is dave mine's the anchor <laughs> What's the, what about the shrimp with like the little antenna, you know, like the super detailed, not the, not the, not the shrimp cocktail, but like the shrimpy with the little antenna. That's what I would guess. <laughs> I mean, way there off. has to be like way a way reason off. behind it, Ty. Like, why would he be a shrimp? Well, because it's, well, no, no, because obviously New England. So you got like, you know, like fresh sea life up there, but then like the antenna is like, you know, not like a normal shrimp. It's like a detailed shrimp where he uses the tools and has probably some creative util like utilitarian function for those things. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that is not an oracle. Like you just described yourself. You just projected, you just projected yourself into the emoji that you should be. No, uh, no I'm the blowfish. No, that's me. Well, you're the blowfish. So, I'm the blowfish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask Jeff. Mostly harmless. I guess I get really a little are. puffed up in which case I can be a little spiky. <laughs> Uh, so Dave, Dave's emoji is the duck because oh, hey. no matter what rolls at, no matter what rolls his way, he is always calm and the water just rolls off his back, uh, beneath hey, the surface. He might have his legs. He might have his legs a little fluttering a little bit, but we would never know it. You know what I mean? So, so Dave, like, tell us about this mentality you have of just never allowing your feathers to get ruffled. Um, and just how do you approach things that way? Um, so yeah, the duck emoji is, is funny and, and it came, comes from one of the trainings that I did at one of our conferences. Uh, I was talking about attitude and I sincerely believe that attitude is a, a very conscious choice that we should be making every day. Um, and if you're choosing an attitude of, you know, negativity and misery and, you know, wallow in the pain of, of your life, um, you definitely don't qualify as a duck. You are a dog. Because uh, when a dog gets wet, um, the dogs smell, the dog drags the water all over the house. It just, everybody knows that the dog is wet, right? You smell it, it's an odor in the room, everything. Um, but a duck, when a duck gets drenched, soaked, completely immersed, doesn't matter. When it pops up out of that, out of that it, uh, it all just rolls off the duck's feathers as if it was never there. Um, so the attitude, the mentality is, you know, look at the situation you're, you're dealing with um, and, and look at what really matters. Look at what you can control and what you can't control. Um, and, you know, I can't control the things that happen to me. I can't control the, the situations or circumstances that I experience, but I can control my reaction to them. I can control how I, how I feel about it and how I react to it. And so that, that's where the duck emoji comes from is, 
is just trying to, you know, let the negativity roll off of you and, and choose to, to have a better, a better, uh, response to, to your situations. Well, it's no detailed shrimp, but I like the analogy. Just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, yeah, it's such a cool, it's such a cool thing to like, just ask yourself, are you a duck or a dog? Like, are you literally like musty smelling and dragging stuff all around and like watching everybody, like, is everyone just watching you freak out at everything that comes to the door or are you calm on the surface? That's awesome. So I, I always enjoy talking to you. I always actually learn. I want to talk about sales training and stuff because I think that's the strength of yours in a little bit, but catch me up on, on the path that led you to sales. I don't know much about your your background i actually didn't know that you worked at pinnacle for a while so t talk to me a little bit about your upbringing and and what led you to sales sure so um i was born in utah i grew up in oregon uh, just a few miles outside of portland ducks. um i was You're always the yeah the ducks <laughs> um I, I was always like uh into skating and stuff and portland was really cool because we could go to mount hood and snowboard and then in the same day head into portland and skateboard under the Burnside Bridge, and then in the same day, head out to the coast and, you know, surf or boogie board. That's the triple threat. You were doing triple threat. That's the three yep, sports in fun. one day. There's very few places you can do that. Yep. Yeah, it was a good time. So so I grew up there um, at, let's see, I was almost 20. I went on an LDS mission. I went to England, lived there for two years. And when I came back, my parents had actually sold our home and went on a mission of their own to Florida. So I came back homeless. I didn't have anywhere to go. Uh, so I went to Utah and just kind of roomed up with some friends that I had made in England. Um, they were going to school. So I thought, well, you know, I should probably figure out how to go to school. So uh, I didn't have any money or anything. My parents had sold everything and, and went on their mission. So I didn't, I didn't have any kind of inheritance or anything like that. Uh, my dad literally drove me to Provo and dropped me off at an apartment complex. And, um, he, I think he like co-signed to get me into like Branberry apartments or something like that. And then I know uh, the Branberry Yeah. You know, the Branberry, um, good times there, but yeah, that I lived there and I lived in rain tree, but, um, I, uh, he, he, he goes out to the parking lot and he, he says, well, um, they were going to go live at my brother's house. You all know Doug. Um, so he says, we're, we got to head to to Las Vegas. Cause that's where Doug lived at the time. And he says, are you going to be okay? And, uh, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find a job next week and see if I can find a car and go from there. And, uh, so he's like, all right, great. And he literally just kind of left me at this apartment. I had, I had one month of rent covered and, and that was it. So I went and found a job, um, went and found a car and, and just kind of like started, started my adult life on my own, um, right from scratch kind of, um, Living there, I, I got into real estate investing and started doing consulting over the phone. I uh, did that for five years Oscar? or so. No, uh, I actually don't even remember the name of it. It was like Matt. That was a big thing back then. What year would that have been? Oh, uh, three. Yeah, I remember I remember that was the hustle. Like before direct sales, a lot of people were doing that. They were doing phone sales and they were selling like real estate coaching over the phone and people were like earning well and stuff. Right, yeah. So those guys would sell it and then I would get the package sent to me and I was the consultant that would teach the buyer how to actually apply what they're reading about in the package. Mm. And so, yeah, it's like this late night infomercial stuff about how to buy and sell delinquent tax properties from county auctions. And um, <laughs> it was actually pretty cool. I, I, had, I had a customer once in Ohio that bought a house for like five grand. 
and put like four grand into it and then sold it for 80. So it was, it was pretty sweet. Crazy. That's like what you do with a car. I know, right? So that actually kind of evolved into making my own real estate investments and partnered up with uh, my best friend from high school, his older brother. And we started buying and flipping homes. And then we started buying land and developing it. At some point, we were holding somewhere between 50 to 60 million in real estate and then you know, lost it all. And that was about the pinnacle of it before 2008 happened. And, uh, you know, just to kind of recap what we dealt with in 2008, um, the mortgage industry really changed. And we were in the middle of a multi-million dollar project where um, all of our homes and properties were were effectively pre-sold. Um, we had the letters of intent. intent. We had the um, pre-authorization letters that they qualified for their mortgages and all that good stuff. And then overnight, it seemed that none of those people qualified for their mortgages anymore. And people who could qualify for a mortgage were too scared to make any kind of investment because the whole economy was just getting thrashed by this this change. And so I literally went from being, you know, a 28-year-old millionaire uh, to being broke, homeless. I mean, perceived millionaire, I guess I should say. Um, to being broke and homeless and, uh, I mean, getting my cars repossessed and, uh, my, I mean, everything just right down to the bottom. I felt like I was back in that Branbury parking lot again, except this time I had a wife and two kids that were counting on me to, to supply the food. So it was really, that was probably for me, um, that experience, you know, losing everything through that, that real estate business, um, and then finding a way to kind of start over was probably for me like a very uh, monumental refiner's fire that I had to go through. Um, it's definitely one of those like pinnacle moments in my life that kind of turned me into who I am now. Um, so yeah, so that was when I got introduced to door-to-door sales actually. Um, one of my friends who, who I'd known from the real estate side of things, um, he was going down to St. George, Utah to sell security. I don't know why in the heck they went to St. George, Utah to sell security. I was going to say, of all the markets. I know, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, let's let's set ourselves up for success. <laughs> but uh, so I, I went went with them and they, they, they gave me a really cool offer. They said, look, come with us. If it works out for you, we'd love to have you on the team. If it doesn't work out for you, no harm, no foul. We get it. you know. But if it, if it does, then we'd love to work with you. And I thought, well, hey, that's a non-threatening uh, proposition. So let's give it a shot. And so they took me down there. Um, and that was, you know, one of the first friends I made in the industry were the Toon brothers and, and, um, they kind of helped mentor me a little bit, but I spent a good 50 hours that week on the doors. Yeah. So Friday I got my first sale and then Saturday I almost had four, you know, the, the salesman that I became later, I definitely would have got four, but, um, just rookie mistakes, uh, caused me to lose those ones, but I came and home there very few, and, and well, it was hard to cut you off. There are very few people that understand, like, it doesn't sound like, Hey, I worked for five days with nothing. Like that doesn't sound like much, but there are very few people that one understand the situation that you're in, right? You just lost everything. There's, just, there's probably an air of desperation. You're trying to make something work. You're thinking of your family and with door to door sale, it's like being a stand up comedian, right? Like at the end of a bad show, you can't blame it on the band. It's like either you're not fun, either you're funny or you're not. Like it's you and a microphone, and that's how door-to-door sales is. Where it's like, man, it's you're so vulnerable. 
it's literally you, a binder, your mouth, and the streets. Like, and to, to give all of your effort for eight to 10 hours a day for four days, come up with zero. Like day one starts with, oh, okay, like this is harder than I thought. Day two is like, man, I don't know if I'll sell one of these things. Day three is, I don't even know who I am anymore. You know what I mean? So like by Friday, like most people have never gone through that just raw, like it's like wringing your soul out a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like the word you just used, wringing your soul out because the emotions that you feel and the the thoughts and impulses that you go through are, are tough. They're, they're some of the toughest things that, that a person I think can conquer just internally. Um, and, and I have to praise my wife immensely here because I came home from that trip having made 250 bucks on that one sale, by the way. <laughs> I mean, rolling. It's not nothing. And um, she was freaking out. She was just like, hey, <laughs> we've got two kids. We cannot survive on 250 bucks a week. And um, and I, I said, I just listened to her for a minute. And I, I said, you know, babe, you're right. I get that. But um, here's the thing. I sold one. And I know that if I can sell one, then I can sell another and I can get better at this if I just give myself more time. And so she kind of like took a deep breath and just said, okay, so you want to do this thing? And I, I said, I don't see any other options. And I know if I can do it once, I can do it again. And so uh, she's like, all right, I'm behind you. Let's do it. And she absolutely was. Um, she never got on my case if I came home with a bagel. She never got on my case. She never stressed me out. She tried to do her best to just take the pressure off me and be supportive. And I really think that, you know, that matters a ton. Um, you know, I've had very close friends who have had uh, their partner or spouse really respond negatively and emotionally when this, the person trying to do that door-to-door -door sales job didn't succeed that day. And, you know, that influence can really wreck a career for someone. So I have to I have to praise my wife. She's absolutely the best thing in my life and has really been the reason for, you know, what I can look back now and call success. Ty, did you um did Ty, did you just come up with that comedy comparison on the spot or had you heard that before? No, I've thought about it before because as I've seen comedians, I'm always like, Man, there is no like I, I thought like that'd be a cool way to travel because you just have a backpack and you don't have to like be in a van and set mics up. But Everything is like everything, dude. It's exactly what we do. Like at the end of the day, like, and I was thinking about Dave saying, Hey, I almost sold four. And we've all had the new guy that's like, I almost had four. But at the end of the day, either you're getting laughs or the, the crowd's ruthless. <laughs> you're not right? like, well, what I was thinking about, it's such a great analogy because think if like, think if we, think if we handed like four jokes to, you know, I don't know, think of the least funny person, you know, and then hand it to Kevin Hart, same four jokes. And you right. put them in front of an audience of a hundred people. First guy's going to get up, do the four jokes. He's going to like, you could have him say it verbatim, the exact same words. And no one's going to laugh. Kevin Hart gets up there and laughing because the delivery, the timing, the speed of their voice, like all the little subtle things matter. And you know, a lot of new guys are like, I'm saying exactly what Dave's saying when I'm out there. And why don't I get 25 installs a quarter? And you're like, because 
you're not Dave for one, like you're not Kevin Hart, right? Like you, like you, we could put you in front of the same audience. Dave's going to sell five of them. You may not sell any of them. Um, but that's how you get better is learning. I think a lot of our new guys don't understand. It's not just knowing what to say. It's learning how to time things, how to, you know, read your customer better, how to like do all those little small details that just take a lot of that just takes a lot of time to learn. Yeah. It's learning how to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To your analogy, Adam, that, that Kevin Hart analogy, you you know, the, the comedian's not Kevin Hart, but they could be, you know, if they continue putting in the time and putting in the effort. And that's Mm -hmm. what Ty said earlier about the, you know, me acknowledging, you know, I almost got four. Uh, I, for 13 years now, I hear that almost every week from someone. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard sometimes not to to have my impulse just be like, well, better luck next time, buddy. But because I remember how that feels. um, My message to anyone that that is saying that repetitively is look, don't focus on what you almost did. But focus on what you did or didn't do that caused those four to not follow through and refine yourself because that that's how I think I got through it was I was very consciously picking apart where I lost people in the conversation. So if I lost them at a certain phrase or a certain part of my conversation or pitch or question I asked, then I would stop asking that question or stop saying that phrase. But if people were engaged, then I would make sure I kept that in my next conversation at the next doorstep. And through, through trial and error, that's how I ended up. I mean, when, when I, 2008, when I started doing door to door, we didn't have a a binder. Uh, We didn't have a training manual. We didn't have anything. We, we were given a a piece of paper that we wanted customers to sign and a couple pictures of the product. And we were dropped off on a street corner and said, go that way. I'm going this way. I'll see you at nine o'clock tonight and uh, see what you did, what you did with yourself today. You know, so we had to be conscious about training ourselves and, and we didn't have the kind of resources that we've provided to people today. Every, every underdog that wins a big sports game, there's always this like critical moment when they start believing they can win. You know, they, they go into the game knowing they're an underdog. They go into the game thinking we're, we're a long shot. And then all of a sudden they start realizing like they're not that much better than we are. And then they start believing they can win. They may even get up you know, by a couple points or whatever. But there's that moment when they start believing they can win. It's the most dangerous moment any favorite in any game can have happen to them is the underdog starts believing they can win, right? So when 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 was your underdog moment that you start doing this door-to-door gig, you go five days without selling anything, all of a sudden you get one, you make 250 bucks your first week. When was that first moment that, you really started believing that this was a viable option for you? Um, so honestly, I think it was that moment when my wife and I had that conversation. When when she heard me say, look, I sold one, I can do it again. And the way she responded was, yeah, you're right, you can do it. Um, that, that was kind of the encouragement that I needed. And then, I mean, from there, I just really never looked back. I never questioned my guests. I mean, I love watching inspirational things. I love that old video from Will Smith where he says, there's no reason to have a plan B because it just distracts from plan A. Um, I had no plan B. I had no option for plan B anyway. So it was nice in a way because I didn't have the the luxury of having a distraction. It was, it was literally a time in my life where it was 
uh, you know, that's never been more literal sink or swim. And I swam. I mean, there, there was just no other, no other option. So I think, um, I think it comes back to what I was saying earlier about the duck emoji too. It comes back to attitude. It comes back to that, the choice that you, you make regarding your position on things and how you're going to react to things. You know, I could have come home from that week and said, look, I just worked 50 hours and made 250 bucks. That's like, I don't know how many pennies per hour that that adds out to that. I can't do this. I'm out. Right. I could have, could have had that attitude and just been discouraged by it and beat up by it and chose to embrace that and move forward with it. Instead, I chose to move forward with an attitude of success. Like, Hey, I did it once I can do it again and I'm going to go do it again. And so I, th- I think the attitude that we choose in almost any situation that we face is, in my opinion, one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves. So, you know, taking a second to, to not necessarily act on our first impulse every time we're faced with a situation, but to really think about it and think, okay, this attitude that I'm, this emotion I'm feeling, is this going to help me or is this going to hinder me? Is this going to make me happy? Is it going to make me miserable? Um, you know, is it going to benefit my life or is it going to harm it? You know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be a complicated question. Is it good or bad for me? Um, so whatever the circumstance, whatever it is, personal work, spiritual, um, emotional, you know, whatever it, it, I think it can really benefit people if we can try to train ourselves to master that one concept. What do you like most about the solar industry? Oh man. Okay. So I love the solar industry so much. I, I worked for almost six years in alarms. And I was successful, but I, I very honestly, I was still living paycheck to paycheck. You know, my my success with alarms, I sold somewhere between 180 to 220 systems each each season, um, which was good money. It was six figure money, but you know, with my family growing and everything, it was constant. And the moving back and forth every summer, it was constantly paycheck to paycheck for me. It wasn't until I came to the solar industry and just started to, to learn and kind of get through my own learning curves here again, that um, I really started to establish some financial freedom, started to pay off debt, started to get to a place where I had enough in the bank to cover months and months and months of bills and no longer paycheck to paycheck. And it was very eye-opening. Um, for me, one of the things I've said many times is that I love the freedom that we have to govern ourselves and to govern our schedules, but we have no like business liability. I mean, I don't even know what a PL statement looks like anymore. You know, I'm not doing profit and loss. I'm, I'm not paying the rent on the building where the office is. I'm not, I'm not paying the payroll to the salespeople. Like when I owned the real estate business with my buddies, that was that was tough. Like we it was a constant reminder of the stresses of owning the business. I feel like where I'm at with, you know, with Vivint Solar and where, where we're headed and everything, we have got such a perfect opportunity to behave and live like entrepreneurs, like business owners, with none of the risk. It's unbelievable. We have all the benefit. We have amazing income opportunity. We have unlimited potential. We have literally no responsibility besides production and you know, helping your team and, you know, the things, the things that are easy to do anyway, and, and don't mount stress, they, they're all, they're the fun things to do. 
so, so for me, that I love that the most about the solar industry. I love that we have such amazing income opportunity without having to assume so much, you know, business owner type liabilities. I was talking to I was talking to Nick Hansen about that, and you know, he did the the executive MBA program at Harvard, and he's like, oh, entrepreneurship. And I was like, entrepreneurship, that's exactly what it is. You, you have entrepreneurial um, uh, benefits inside of a structure that is going to, it's, it's like having a, a funding partner. You know what I mean? It's almost like, it's almost like if you're like, you know, a, a, a musician and your band funds your record, you can just go in there and do whatever you want. It's like everybody's dream, right? Like, just let me do my thing. And I think, I think it's really good that you, 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 identify and capitalize on that. I, I also think that the way you think is a skill. I don't know if you see it as a skill or if it's something that like inherently you're, you, you kind of have a propensity to think efficiently. But one of the biggest differences, if not maybe the only difference between those that are super successful and those that aren't is just the way they think. So what, what practices do you do to help develop and tune your thinking? And what do you recommend for people that aren't there yet? Like what would you tell Dave Yates that had a sense of, of desperation maybe in 2008 to develop the mentality that you have now in 2020? That's a good question. Um, that's a deep question, Ty. Um, yeah, we're going deep, think, Dave. We're not, we're not here to screw around, man. We're going for it. Yeah, I, I think the answer to that uh, comes from what I believe the difference is between selfishness and self-interest. Um, the, the concept of selfishness is that one will do things purely to benefit themselves. The concept of self-interest is kind of the same thing, but with a twist. So for example, my job for the last 13 years has been to provide value to my customer, right? I need to convince my customer that this, this service is valuable to them. And then I need to make the experience positive for them. So what it comes down to is what's in my best self-interest is to do for that customer, whoever it is that's face-to-face -face with me today, whoever it is whose answers are the next door I show up at or whatever. What's in my best self-interest is to give them the best experience I can possibly give them. And by so doing, I, I benefit, right? So I, I think the principle kind of comes full circle um, and you may need to kind of get me back on track with your question again, because I, I may be kind of going on a tangent a little bit. But um, if we're doing what's right for the customer, then we're going to be adding value for them. And, and the success is going to naturally want to chase us for the action that we perform by bringing that value to the customer. So knowing selfish, selfish uh, intent would be to do whatever you can to trick the customer into signing up so that you can hopefully get a, a commission or something like that. That's selfish. And that's going to turn around. Yeah, it's and, combative, right? It's you against them. Yes. And it's going to turn around. It's going to destroy you. If you behave that way, your reputation will end up destroying you. But if you're interested in self-interest, which is just, you know, what's better for me, and, and Adam says it all the time here in New England, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's kind of the same principle, but in a more personal relation to me and my customers. You know, what's good for the customer is good for me, right? So at the end of the day, if, if you know, a customer's better off in a different program or better off at a, you know, a little bit lower rate than what I really hoped to, 
to put them into. Well, then let's put them into the lower rate. Let's do what's right for them, put them in a better situation. And what comes full circle is instead of completely sabotaging you like selfish people get, that self-interest will come full circle. And that's where things like referral networks really grow and flourish. Um, and, and people want to, to perpetuate you to their friends and their family because they know that you're doing what's right for them. So, you know, my self-interest is, is going to benefit others. Yeah. So that's how you think of it, right? Like, and I think, again, I think it's evidenced by your success. Like, obviously you think differently than other people because you have results that are different than other people's. Do you, do you do anything to help preserve that mentality? Because it's, again, it's almost like being in physical shape. It's like, you have to maintain that. And some people might genetically be more prone to, to, you know, gaining muscle or whatever, but you know, I, and maybe even personally, I tend to be a little bit more of an optimistic thinker, but I have, I have certain practices that I do to, to preserve my mentality. Do you do anything like that? Do you have like a, a routine that in, includes, I don't know, gratitude or, or journaling or reading or whatever? Like, is there anything that you specifically do for your thought process? Cause it's really developed. Like I knew that about you, but I can hear it now. Like you've thought about this stuff, right? So how, how have you developed it and how can others develop theirs? Uh, so good question. And, and I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't really have like a routine that I'm conscious about that, you know, I don't do the, I don't do the look, the look in the mirror and like give yourself positive affirmations. And I, I don't really engage a lot in, in activity like that. It's for me, it's, it's really just kind of like a deep rooted belief in my heart. Um, and so I'm, I'm constantly reminded of it. I remember it. Um, I had an experience, kind of a, kind of a interesting experience when I was a young alarm sales rep, it was my first summer and, um, I had sold this awesome couple. They were really great. Sold them and the technician showed up and he'd already, you know, drilled a hole in the wall and he's putting the wiring in and getting the system all ready to go. And, um, in kind of the course of just asking them, about themselves and they were asking about me um it came up that i grew up in utah and this couple um the lady the the wife she said she said oh that's where all the mormons are and uh she looked at me and she's like are you a mormon and i i looked at her and i was like well yeah i am <laughs> and she went in the other room like all upset she was clearly upset by my answer and she went in the other room and she came back from the other room about two minutes later and just freaked out. She, she just started yelling at her husband saying, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. And she, she kind of pushed us out of the house and, um, technician and I, and crazy. Yeah. It was really wild for me. You know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a white male. I, I have no like claims against prejudices or anything like that, but that was a moment in my life where, I felt what it might feel like for people to experience prejudice because I felt like she was, you know, just throwing me out just because she found out. Yeah, like you don't even know, like what? Yeah. She, yeah. she apparently disagreed with something to do with my faith and um, you know, most likely it wasn't even accurate, but, but um, it was an interesting experience for me. And from that experience, I recognized in the future having t moments of temptation where people are like, would ask me about my faith or my beliefs. And I, I remember having kind of a distinct moment of like, do I, do you know, do I fess up to what I really believe and get kicked out of the house again? Like that lady did, um, you know, lose the commission or whatever. And, 
And, you know, it only takes a split second to, to realize like, well, heck yeah, of course I'm going to own what I believe. Why else would you believe it if you don't have the courage to own it? So, so I, you know, I've never, I've never done that. And, and honestly, I think I've, I've actually gained more, more friends and more sales and, and things like that just from, from being who I am and, and being how I am than, than not. So I'll, I'll take that late, you know, I'll lose that lady's deal every time I'm faced with it. If, if, uh, if that's the difference, you know? Um, so I think for me, it's, I, I'm a lover of principle. Um, I believe that a principle is something that is true no matter what. So it doesn't matter if I believe it's true or you believe it's true or don't believe it's true. If it's a principle, then it is true, period. So I think um, in terms of, you know, all aspects, religiously, but primarily uh, to, to focus on, you know, work and life and just, you know, more secular topics, those principles are all around us. You know, the, you talk about things like the secret, you know, people say, you know, the secret is, you know, what you focus your mind on and, and what you believe will come to pass. You know, you can actually will into reality and that kind of thing. I think there's some degree of truth to that. And I think that there are principles that are connected to the actions that we take that can literally map that out for us. And so I'm, I'm kind of a lover of the idea that principle guides to truth. And so if we can try to be open enough to find those principles and, and adopt them into our day-to-day lives, adopt them into our work practices and adopt them into our relationships and things like that, then, you know, those principles become the things that you were asking me about earlier. And so instead of, instead of like an exercise to, to try to get there, I try to learn principles and then I try to focus on embracing them and making them part of how I behave. Well, and to kind of keep on the subject, um, you know, I don't, in the six years you've been in New England, you've had maybe less than five quarters that you've done less than 20, 25 installs. You're one of the most consistent top performers we've ever had. One of the most prolific salesmen we've ever had in New England. And you have five kids. Is that right? Correct. Yep. Five kids. And there's three quarters, three three quarters quarters where I've been under about maybe four. We'll see how this COVID thing affected me, but uh, he's going to rally. I'm going to be mad. Uh, If it's it's four, I'm mad. He's had three quarters in six years. So that's 24 quarters. He's 21 for 24 with at least 20 installs or more. Um, you know, one of the most consistent sales reps we've ever had at the company. He's got five kids. He serves in a leadership position in his church. Um, obviously you're married and you, you know, are a family man. Like, how do you find time to do it all and, and still be successful at work and not have your wife just wanting to, you know, wrangle your neck every time she sees you. So, uh, life is a light switch panel and, uh, how you how you manage those switches and where the current of energy is flowing is is the key right and ty you've done a really great training on on energy where you talked about hit points and i remember you sharing a story about going into a shopping mall or shopping grocery store and someone you knew is standing there you know reading the labels of laundry detergent (laughs) and you just (laughs) walked up and you're like this one good and out um, it's that same concept. Um, you don't waste a ton of energy I can see on Ty doing decisions. That I can te- 
<laughs> Can you just see Ty shaking his head at somebody reading the letter? I don't got time. I don't got like, time to smell hand soap, dude. <laughs> like that's not that's something right. that gets attention. The lavender cleans your hands just like the the coconut. Yep. <laughs> if you make a bad yeah, decision, you, you know to accept that. There you go. So that concept of not wasting energy on decisions that really don't matter um, is is kind of the same thing as the light switch panel for your life, right? So. If you've got one light switch that represents your family or your relationship with your wife or whatever, and then you got another light switch that represents work, and you got another light switch that represents uh, church or religious activity that you're into or whatever, whatever the light switches are that are important to you that you need to balance in your life, one gets to be turned on at a time, period. Just turn one on at a time and do absolutely your best to turn the others off. So... Going back to uh, what you guys asked me about earlier, um, where I had that real estate company in 2008 hit and we went bankrupt and I lost everything. Well, that following, following that, I was in St. George trying to knock doors. And what we didn't talk about is during that 50 hours of trying to knock doors, I was getting repetitive and constant phone calls from people who had invested thousands of dollars some tens of thousands and some hundreds of thousands of dollars into our real estate business who had found out that they had lost it all. And it was absolutely the most gut-wrenching week for me. Um, and it coincidentally just had to happen the same week that I was learning this new job that is door-to-door sales. And I had some people that, you know, they were understanding. They said, hey, thanks for taking my call, you know, and, and, All I could do is just tell them what I knew of what was happening with the market and what was happening with our projects, but I took every call. So when I was in between houses, I flipped off the switch of being a door knocker and learning this new job. And I flipped on the switch of that real estate business owner and answered the questions of my investors and did what, you know, what I had to do to, to try to answer their questions. But I had other people that did not want to hear anything and they just wanted to, to vent and, and unleash on me. And I got called names. I got accused of all kinds of things. And I, I mean, I had my character defamed. I had just crazy accusations and it was all kinds of offensive stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it helped me realize that um, that wasn't about me. There was nothing that I did or could have done differently that would have changed the end result of of the way the economy affected the real estate industry. Um, that was just them, you know, kind of letting out their emotions on on me for for how I how they felt about being connected with this situation. And so, um, it really helped to to learn that light switch principle in, in that moment and just turn off the feelings that come from those phone calls and get back to the doors. And that made a huge difference for me. And I've, I've learned how to do that, you know, not just in work related ways, but, um, you know, Sundays for me, if, if, uh, people are trying to get a hold of me on Sunday, I'm sorry, but it's really rare that I answer my phone or that I call people back or anything. I just, I disconnect. That's my family time. My family switches on and I try to just be completely disconnected on Sundays as much as possible from anything other than my family. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that light switch principle is key. Do you think that's the single biggest thing? And Todd, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this too. Do you think that's the single biggest thing that differentiates our top performers from our low performers is 
their ability to compartmentalize and just manage their emotions. Because it's like if, you, argue, if they can yes. manage their emotions, they can manage their emotions, especially when you're first starting and just focus. So I think I think it's so easy to get distracted with the job. Like you're out there by yourself, you're in your own head, you're going between doors, it's quiet, you know, it's like it's just so easy to get distracted and like start getting in your own head. And then of course when the whirlwind of life comes at you with outside distractions, whether it's family drama, friend drama, previous work drama, whatever, it's just really difficult to end that phone call knock the next door be like hey how's it going i'm Dave Yates with vivin solar you know and like in your head you're the duck feet going a million miles an hour underwater right <laughs> what's the what's that quote adam is it was it mike tyson that said something about you know everybody has a plan until i punch him in the face yep so everybody has everybody has some kind of idea right until everybody thinks they're excited everybody has some degree of desire to succeed at a job like this until they get punched in the face. And I think that there's a, a graph, right? Like if your desire is here um, and then your frustration is here, your frustration as you go door to door and, and hit all these experiences and rejections is going to fluctuate. If you allow your frustration level to exceed your desire level, you're done, period. Mm. You're just done. You have it's to like just, you, got an you can't get that hot level level too hot. You have to pull over for a second. You're done. You know? Yep. If you can keep your desire to succeed above, you're good. Yeah. I think um, you asked me my thoughts on it. When I was a kid, I, so I grew up in Seattle and um, it rains every day in Seattle pretty much except for like two or three months out of the year. And when I was a kid, I had a, I had a paper route and I delivered newspapers on my bike, you know? And the job to me, and actually life in general is a lot like that paper route because it's like, my friends were out doing other things and it was raining and I didn't have someone to drive me. And, you know, maybe in those moments, the money didn't matter, but it all came down to, well, who's going to deliver the papers then? Like, you got to deliver the papers or else how are the people going to get their papers? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of that simple. And I think a lot of people let themselves think, well, I would have delivered the papers, but it was raining, but who's going to deliver the paper? Like, you, you, you learn, you know, um, Chad Wright, we had Chad on the podcast. He's a Navy SEAL and ultra marathon guy. And I ordered, he has a podcast called uh, seven of three or something like that. And uh, he has this shirt that I ordered from him and on the back really big, it just says it doesn't matter. It's like one of his big things is it doesn't matter because think about it, Dave, it, it actually doesn't matter that all those people were calling you on that St. George trip. You still had to get the papers delivered. You still had to make accounts. It's like, okay, I have to deal with this and I shouldn't have to deal with it. And it's really draining. And what am I supposed to do? And I can't help it. And I lost my money too, but it doesn't matter. Right. At the end of the day, it's like, yeah, but my kids have to eat. So I guess I'll just keep going. And I think people that can like, you called it compartmentalizing Adam, but I think it's people that can just simplify. It's like, yes, all of these emotions of these, the, the frustration levels raising that's happening. But if you get back to it, it's like, but the papers still have to be delivered by 5.30. It's like the sale still has to happen. Oh, but I tried so hard and I almost got four. Yeah, but you didn't. It's just simple thinking, you know? I think, I think, I think we just get in our way so often. Like I heard a quote once from my little brother about um, Phil Mickelson, you know, the golfer. And uh, he said something to, the degree, something to the effect of performance under pressure is being able to think of absolutely nothing when it's absolutely necessary. 
Cause it's like, you see like a, like a new golfer. It's like, Oh, I gotta make this putt. It's a million dollars. Just everybody's watching. It's going to be huge. It's going to be big. If I miss it all, what? And like the experienced guy on his brain is just like, okay, got a putt. You know what I mean? Like that's it. You know what I mean? So I think it's that ability to think of absolutely nothing. Light switch. There, you know, light switch. To stay on the, um, to stay on the golf analogy tie there's an old golfer named lee trevino i don't know if either of you guys have ever heard of him yeah i know lee to, trevino back in the gt rodriguez a little, yeah so um lee trevino known as a great putter and uh he was interviewed after he won a golf tournament and he uh, made a putt on the 18th green the final day of the tournament it was like a 10-foot putt or whatever made the putt to win the tournament. So he was tied with a guy, makes the putt, wins the tournament. And he was interviewed after, and somebody said, man, like, how do you manage to perform under pressure like that? There was so much money, you know, it was like half a million bucks or whatever it was at the time on the line. And uh, he goes, shoot, man. He goes, I'm already a millionaire. He goes, that's not pressure. He goes, pressure is when you got five bucks to your name and you – have to go to work that day to make sure you put food on your kid's table like the later that week or later that night. So I think that's that kind of summarizes like what a lot of our combine guys are feeling, right? Like they're dealing with that pressure, like the pressure for Dave to hit 20 installs, you know, 22 times out of his next 20, you know, his 25th quarter that he's working. He's already made a ton of money. Like that's not pressure. Like pressure is our combine rep right now. He's struggling to figure it out, struggling to pay his bills. So just to kind of wrap up, Dave, we're almost out of time. Like what advice do you have with everything that they've heard on this podcast today about, you know, the water that rolls off your back like the duck? What advice do you have for our reps that are starting out now or that are in their combine on just how to manage through that stress of, the straight commission job dealing with the pressure, but still being able to perform and sell and provide for their family with this new change they're making in their life. Yeah. Good question. I think um, some of that is going to vary based on the personality type of the, the new guy that's trying to learn this job and get through those learning curves. Um, but I know for me, um, I tried to be the guy where if I zeroed one day, I would go out two hours early the next day and I would stay out two hours late and I would, you know, I'd, I'd set out to do two or three or four the next day to make up for my failure the day before. And all that did was result in my longest stint of zeros of my entire life. I went 10 days without a single set. Brutal. And Brutal. it was tough, especially ten, after ten having been successful. Shows. <laughs> ten comedy shows with no laughs, Ty. Just no he laughs. Ten shows, boots no laughs. And, and, no and laughs. he kept telling his wife, yeah. honey, I'm, I swear they're going to laugh at some point. <laughs> they <laughs> have to laugh at some point. <laughs> Someday. I got to um, meet somebody that you just know what scared happened? and got broken into. Somebody has to be out there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for me, um, what happened is on that 11th day, I was just so sick of it. I was so sick of it. I was sick of mounting extra pressure on myself every day and trying to make up for my, the failures of my past that I literally just had a, a who cares attitude. I was just kind of like, 
F it. I'm just going to go out. I'm going to just talk to as many people as I can. I'm just going to enjoy myself. And if someone, if no one says yes, I don't care. I don't even care anymore. And so I just went out. And that was when I got my mojo back. I, I was there for them. I didn't care if they said yes or no. I was just there to, to do the job and to, to try to add value for them. And all of a sudden, people were responding like crazy. And I sold four that day. So uh, for me, I learned a valuable lesson. And, and it's not, it, for my personality type, I don't succeed when I'm trying to you know, beat my own record or um, I'm trying to do it for me. I just don't succeed at it. I think I'm too transparent or something. People see through it and they're just like, this dude is all about himself and they don't respond to it. They don't want me in their house and they don't want to sign up. So when I'm out there and I don't literally, I just don't care if they say yes or no, but I'm going to just do my best to explain it and hopefully help them understand it. And I'm going to count on them to you know, want it once they understand it. Because I mean, who's who's dumb enough to want more expensive electricity, right? Everybody wants the cheaper option. Everybody wants the better option. I just have to help them understand that this better option is really easy to say yes to. So um, when I do that, then then I get a really good response from people. So my advice to those combine reps that maybe have that same kind of personality trait as I do is don't put pressure on yourself for the days that don't work out the way you hope. Just keep going. Um, keep going, keep working, keep trying, um, be conscious, be awake when you're out in the field and pay attention to where you're losing people. You know, if you're saying a certain phrase or asking a certain question, a certain way or whatever, and you're constantly losing people at about that same part of the conversation change. Uh, and if you're not losing people, if it's working well and people are responding to you and they're engaging with you, then keep those parts of your conversation and adopt them and enhance them. Uh, but by doing that and just keeping yourself awake and, and continuing to go at it, um, I mean, something has to break loose, right? Uh, just don't let what breaks loose be your spirit, right? Just keep going. Let me uh, let me share something with you. I was just pulling it up. It's one of my favorite quotes. I believe this is from The Seasons of Life. You ever read that book? It's awesome. Um, it actually helped me make the decision to come to solar. But um I'll share this part with you because you, you, you kind of talked about it, but it says nearly every success story that I'm aware of began when the person first lie flat on his mental and financial back. So it says uh, it's when a human with sufficient disgust, desire and determination to change his life finally steps up to the bar of human justice and shouts for all the world to hear. I have had it with defeat and humiliation and I will tolerate it no longer. That is when time, fate and circumstance call a hasty conference and all three warily agree we had best step aside because we are powerless to stop that kind of resolve. Isn't that awesome? It, but that's what it's like. It's like, hey, after I've gone through a, a streak of no days, or man, I, you know, I've set these goals year after year that I'm going to get to this point. And what happens in order to get there is when you just get to that point where you're like, enough, I will tolerate this no longer. And then he's like, man, we're powerless to stop that kind of resolve. But that's literally like, I, I, I appreciate your story because there's a lot of that in there, right? There's a lot of, I am going to do this. So, and I don't care if it takes a hundred hours a week. I don't care. You know what I mean? And that's when it starts happening, you know, but you almost have to get to that point. It's almost like, it's almost like a salesperson's rock bottom where that's where like you break through another level of scar tissue or whatever. And it's like, 
boom. And then once you get through that, you're like, well, I can control this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think another part to it too, your, your quote kind of reminded me one of my good friends, um, her name is Chris. She was talking about the trials of life and just like the miserable things that we go through. And she said something that's stuck out to me and I've, I've posted about it before and stuff, but she said, look, I have a hundred percent track record of getting through it so far. Right. And, and so I think I've survived after 100%. what we've been through. Yeah. I've survived a hundred percent of the things so far. So let's just keep going. But I think what it, what it does is it also brings up the, the principle of fear. And after what I've been through financially, um, I'm just not afraid of anything financial. I'm not afraid to lose a sale. I'm not afraid to, you know, have customers cancel or whatever. I just, I've lost way more money than, than any customer could ever amount to. And so why not just try to give them the best experience as possible? And if they say yes, great. And if they say no, that's fine too. You know, maybe later they'll change their mind, but I do not have any fear about people saying no to me. I just don't care. Well, Dave, man, you are an inspiration. You're one of the, the staples of New England and the company. And, and um, you know, there's some guys that you are always just glad and it gives you a sense of comfort that they're on your team. And you're one of those guys, especially for me. And, and uh, I know Ty doesn't get to work with you as closely as I do, but just really appreciate everything you bring to the table. You're, uh, you are a really great example, especially to a lot of our young leaders of, of how to live a life that you're excited about. Um, someone that they can look up to as a person and just have a ton of respect for. And I think a lot of our, a lot of our sales guys, girls that have been, you know, through the housing crisis back in the, you know, 2007 through 2009, they're going to really resonate with your experience and, and have a lot of those same feelings of, of, kind of hitting that rock bottom financially and working their way back up. So um, it's inspiring to see what you've done and see how far you've come. And, and uh, it's, you know, I know I've sent you these texts before, but I just really appreciate everything that you bring to the table. And uh, it's been great to work with you over the last couple of years. So that means a lot to me. So I, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. That'll do it. Another episode of Electric People in the Books. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at viventsolar.com forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.